following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Today I will pick up on where Andrew left off last Sunday. If you were here, he was in chapter 4 and he covered the temptation of Christ, Christ being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And uh, I have to just throw my own take on that because I, I, I hear people say that, you know, the Holy Spirit led him in. And it's not like the Holy Spirit had a rope around Jesus and was dragging and pulling him to go into the wilderness to face the devil. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one, as is with the Father. The three are one. It's one God and three separate. But so Jesus himself went after the devil. Uh, he wasn't pulled into this. It wasn't uh, something that he was afraid of or worried about. I believe Jesus said, we're going to start off this ministry, and I'm going to start it off by nailing the devil. So he's going to go after him, defeat him, so that from that point on, it's a defeated devil that he faces and that we face. And that's, that's a, a great perspective on that. But that's what Andrew gave us last week, so this week we're going to build on that. And really, all of this is built upon the series that came before called Rooted. If you were here, we did a whole series on being rooted in Christ. And that's what the 20-minute mornings is all about. Being rooted, grafted into the vine of Christ Jesus, growing in your faith and in your relationship with him by being your roots going deep down into Christ. And so this series comes on top of that one, and it's called Follow. So naturally, that would make sense, that as you're rooted in Christ, then you would take that and say, okay, now, how do we follow Christ? The words we use, the decisions that we make, the kind of people that we associate with, our values, the kind of work we do, all these things come from our, what we're rooted in, who, are, who we are in Christ. All these things flow out of and are very, 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 very important to our faith. So if you're deeply rooted in Christ or you are barely rooted at all, it has a bearing on the outcome of your life, on your daily steps in life, the decisions that you make, things you do from day to day. So this is incredibly practical, all right? This affects how you live today and tomorrow and on and on. So the next logical step is to learn how to follow Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. I think the best way to do that is from a very careful examination of how Jesus lived. So if I want to learn how to follow Christ, then I need to look how he lived. So we're doing that from the Gospel of Matthew. If you have a Bible this morning, please turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 5. And we're going to pick up... Um, here in chapter 5 this morning, the title of this talk today is The Greatest Sermon Ever Told. Now, that's not me bragging. I am nothing of what Jesus is, okay? You call this the greatest sermon that ever told is because chapter 5, 6, and 7, those three together, 
is one sermon given by Jesus. Now, if you just go through that whole thing, five, six, and seven, take about 10 minutes. And so people say, what kind of a sermon is that? Well, some believe that this was given over a period of days and that what we have in five, six, and seven is a summation of what Jesus said over those few days. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because Matthew tells us that Jesus went up to the mountain and gave this amazing teaching, the most incredible sermon ever given in the history of the whole world. There is no title on this. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because that's a title that people added later. It's not actually a part of the Bible, but in your Bible, it probably says that, right? Raise your hand if it says the Sermon on the Mount right there. See, those who have a Bible know that's that's how it is. And uh, it's absolutely considered to be the greatest sermon that was ever told. A university professor gathered together, this I believe was in the 80s, gathered together a hundred experts from the world of language use. So he gathered together university professors in literature, poets, linguists, philosophers, writers, men and women who have PhDs in etymology, basically a hundred people who have devoted their entire life to the study of words. And he got them together, no theologians, no pastors, got them together for a three-day conference. And the goal of the conference was to expand upon or in any way improve the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. So they got the printout of verses 3 through 11. It's called the Beatitudes. And they were asked to, over a three-day period, expound upon that or in any way enhance or improve it. Now after three days of intense deliberation, they came back and gave this answer. And I quote, These words cannot be improved upon by adding or taking away. They are, perfectly, they are perfect exactly the way they are. End quote. A hundred experts in language came back and said, you can't improve upon these words. These, these are perfect. These are put together perfect. You kidding me? 2,000 years and all this, these great minds, when we, we can't improve upon what Jesus said. No, we can't. It's so incredibly laid out and perfect. We call it the Beatitudes. So I'd like to cover this in three ways this morning. First of all, I'd like to begin by establishing context. Then I'm going to define some of the key words that are here in these verses. And then we'll unpack the meaning of it, exactly what is being said by Jesus. So my goal today is that all of you would leave together today with a, a greater faith, a deeper, more robust faith. A faith that will carry you through hard times. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Who cares when you're on the top of the world and life is awesome, doing great, and everything's good? Great. Good for you. Ha ha. What matters is when you're 
suffering, when you're struggling, when you're in a terrible time, are you able to maintain your faith and have joy? That's what matters. No one cares about how much faith you have when everything is great. But how is that when you have cancer? When you have cancer, does it ruin your day? Does it ruin your life? Do you have enough faith? How about when your kids are sick or when you lose your job or if your marriage is falling apart, do you automatically just lose it and lose all of your joy and all of your happiness when your friend betrays you, when you're dealing with intense loneliness? Do you just give in to the depression and the sadness? So that's when we need the faith, right there in those times And will you have enough? So let's get into the text and see if we can tackle these three things. Verse number one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's say a quick prayer. Father in heaven, as you know, but our congregation may not know, how weak I am today and how I so desperately need your help to stand up here and deliver this truth, your word. Lord, I so desperately want to do it in a way that honors you, that is right, is accurate, that blesses you. Lord, also I want it to be done in a way that blesses them. They so desperately need you. We all do. Lord, we need you to build our faith to prepare us for the battles that are ahead. There are many battles and trials in this life, as you said, Lord, that we can expect to face trials and temptation. So help us this morning, God, through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, build our faith today to withstand any test of any kind. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's begin with context. Biblical context or historical context. Namely, where are we at on the biblical timeline? This is the immediate context of these verses. This is a major point in history, in biblical history. All right? This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. This has never happened before in all of history. Okay? 
all the time beforehand. God appeared in various ways and through different things, but never before the God-man, never before God in the flesh, God himself. Here he is, God. And for the very first time now, he's sharing his heart with mankind. This group of people that have gathered together on this mountain, they're about to hear for the very first time the words of God that God has to say to mankind. I imagine that angels for millennia have been waiting for this moment. For this moment when the gospel would begin to be unfolded and presented to all of mankind, the hope of the world, salvation through Christ is about to be revealed. And Jesus is here. It's the very first time. Incredible anticipation. Uh, I think about it. What I would do if I were there. If I was there, what would it be like to hear Jesus talk about faith? Beginnings are special. I guess they're special because... They're the beginning, right? It's the first. There's nothing like it. The second, third, fourth is not like the first. This week, Apple just said, we're, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're going to have to delay the release of the iPhone X. So you don't have to get your tent out and get ready to camp all night long on the street waiting for the release of the iPhone. You know, I really don't understand why people do that. Maybe because it's just so amazing to have it a month before everybody else. I don't know. I can wait. But it's to be first, I guess. It's special to be first. So I don't want you to, I don't want to leave this too quickly. I want you to grasp this. This is so important. This is. There's been 400 years since God has said anything. Anything's been written. Malachi was the end of the Old Testament that was finished and done. And then nothing up until now. At this moment. When God, through Jesus Christ, is going to reveal God's heart towards man. And then, boom, out comes the beatitude. You know, that's not what I would have started with. (laughs) The Beatitudes. Maybe something about repentance. You know, Jesus did have a message of repentance. He went around saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's not what he does here. But, or obedience, or or how the, the, the church of God has been so unfaithful all these years, or some kind of rebuke. That's what I would do, but... Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. Not prayer, not devotion, not faithfulness, not repentance, not love. The Beatitudes. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, so we're talking 5, 6, 7 of Matthew. So chapter 7 The last two verses, 28, 29, said, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. 
or their rabbis. What does that mean? He taught as one who had authority. Well, at this time, there were no universities. There were no government agencies that were offering degrees or accreditation of any kind. And so how does a rabbi teach the word of God with authority? Where does his authority come from? Well, in their day, their authority came from their ability to quote rabbis who had come before them. And so rabbis that would go all the way back to the beginning, you could quote at that time, you know, they just trace back thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. And the farther back you could go to the actual occurrence of that event and quoting a rabbi that was there at the time would be the most authoritative. And so these rabbis would quote other rabbis. And that's how you knew they knew what they were talking about. It gave them authority. And And so the problem here is what some people are noticing is that Jesus is doing all of this teaching, and you'll notice, you'll see later as we get into it, he never quotes anyone. Jesus doesn't cite a single reference. The only authority that he bases this entire teaching on is himself. It's almost as if Jesus had written the scriptures. He knew them so well. It's almost as if he had written the Old Testament. Or maybe he was there when it took place. And of course, he was. He was there. He did write it. It is who he is. If you go into the Old Testament, every single chapter will show you Christ. So yes, he knew what he was talking about, and that authority came through, and people were amazed. How does he know the scriptures so well? He had incredible authority. Remember back into chapter 3, here's some more context, immediate context. In chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. Pastor Trevor taught about the baptism of Christ In 3 and 16, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is repeated also in Mark and Luke. There is perhaps... No greater endorsement than that right there, right? (laughs) Of God Almighty saying over his son, this is my son, I'm pleased with him, listen to him. Incredible endorsement. As Jesus was ascending up to heaven, he was preparing to ascend and leave. He said to his disciples in the last chapter of Matthew, the last couple of verses, He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, God Almighty is giving the first sermon ever. What does he say?
you read these Beatitudes. And at first glance, they seem really strange. Like, these can't be the words of God. This, this can't be true. These words don't go together. It doesn't make sense. Blessed are those who mourn. Are you sure? Blessed are those who are persecuted and attacked and hurt. It can't be right. Jesus is teaching about happiness, and yet it doesn't seem right. It doesn't fit. What kind of happiness is this? If you go back to just one chapter to chapter 4, which Andrew talked about, chapter 4, the temptation of Christ, we see that the devil is tempting Jesus with happiness. Same thing, really in a different form. You know, happy is the man who has a full stomach, right? Or, or, or the man who has a full stomach is happy as he. Nobody's happy until their stomach is full. And Jesus, you're hungry, create bread, heavenly bread, and fill your stomach. Or jump off of the temple and you'll be healed. God will take care of every need that you have. I mean, what joy would there be in being healed by God? <laughs> or I'll give you all the wealth of the world. You'll be infinitely happy with everything, the world and all of its glory. I'll give it to you. Just worship me. It's like if the devil had his own beatitudes, they would sound something like this. Blessed are the successful, for theirs is the world. Blessed are those that laugh, for they will always have friends. Blessed are the clever, for they shall inherit wealth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for pleasure, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the powerful, for they shall receive the praise of men. Blessed are the worldly, for they shall have worldly wisdom. Blessed are the rich, for they shall never go hungry. You see, the devil can only offer you Offer me what he has to give. He can't give what isn't his to give. And all he has to give is this. His joy, his happiness is light. It is momentary. It is fleeting. It is weak. It's temporary. It's hollow. It's different than what the kind of joy that Jesus is offering here. So let's get into the words a little bit. Maybe that'll, defining some of these words will bring some light to this. The word beatitude is actually not found in the Bible. It's not a biblical word. It's a Latin word. It was added through the Latin Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the Bible. And it means basically happiness. Okay? So the these are the beatitudes. These are the happiness things. These things make you happy. This is what happiness is. Each beatitude begins with the phrase, blessed are the. Blessed are the. Blessed are the. Blessed are this. Blessed are that. The Greek word translated here for blessed is exactly happy or blissful. 
happy or blissful. So it would not be wrong to say, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And all of that leads me to the question, what in the world does this mean? Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the poor in spirit. If you think about it, the devil's list of the Beatitudes sounds a whole lot better. I'd rather have that kind of happiness than the one that Jesus is offering. Right? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what the world is offering us as happiness? It is not saying mourning is happening or or suffering or being persecuted. These aren't things that bring happiness. So what is Jesus talking about? He must be talking about something else. It's about happiness. We know that because of the words that he's using. We know it's about happiness. But it must be a different kind. Something different. I think it is. Have you ever cried tears of joy? It's weird, isn't it? You're happy, yet you're crying. So there is a joy or a happiness that goes deeper than mere laughter or pleasure. I believe that Jesus is teaching is that those who are rooted in the word of God, catch this, catch this, this is so important. Those who are rooted in the word of God and those who are rooted in Christ, those who are earnestly seeking to follow Christ, there is a happiness that is so great and so powerful that it can uphold anything. Even cancer, yes. Even death, yes. Even loss of life, yes. Loss of a job, yes. Broken of a friendship, yes. Broken marriage, yes. There's a joy that's found in Christ that is greater than all of that. That can uphold a person who is going through that. So there are layers of joy. Think of it like layers, a a top layer here and then another layer and another layer. And it goes deeper and deeper down here to the bottom layer where the joy that Christ is talking about at the very bottom. At the top, at the top layer is laughter. Laughter is temporary. It's cheap. It can just happen in a moment. Someone tells a joke. You see a funny sign. Something happens and there's laughter. It's easy It's quick, but it doesn't last. Now, I love to laugh. Of course, you know that, right? (laughs) We love to laugh, especially in church. There's nothing bad about laughter. I love laughing. If we just find a way to make it last 100 years, it just doesn't last. It's gone. It's the fun in the moment. It's pleasure. This is the kind of fun that leaves you worse off the next day than you were at the moment when you were enjoying yourself. 
This is the kind of joy that the devil offers. That's all he can. And then if you go to a, a level below that, maybe call that level happiness, the state of well-being that is derived from our circumstances. So you have a great meal and top it off with chocolate cake. I'm happy. Makes me happy. Go to a good movie and see a good show. Romantic evening. Makes me happy. All my bills are paid and money in the bank. I'm happy. It's a based on circumstances happiness. Again, this is what the devil can offer us. He offered it to Jesus. But then if you go even deeper down, you come to a level called blessedness. And this blessedness that Jesus is talking about here in these Beatitudes is a joy or a happiness that is not affected by circumstance or feeling. It's not based on that. It has nothing to do with that. It goes past feeling and circumstance and goes right down to truth. It's long-lasting. It never leaves you worse off than you were before. You can have cancer and still maintain your joy. You can be suffering and have hope. The devil cannot give this kind of blessedness, this kind of joy, because it's only found in being rooted in Christ. Blessed are those who are in Christ is the message of the Beatitudes. If you're in Christ, then you can have access to these, this blessedness, but if you're not in Christ, you can't. In fact, it doesn't make any sense to you at all, does it? If we go further on in chapters 6 and 7, we begin to read more, greater and greater and greater nonsense. Things like, if your enemy uh, attacks you and hurts you, bless him in return. If he punches you in the face, just turn the other cheek. Love those who persecute you. <laughs> those who are not in Christ, it all sounds like foolishness. They would rather have the devil's beatitudes. Blessed are the wealthy. Blessed are the successful. Do you know who's greatest in God's kingdom? The least. The most needy. The meek. The poor in spirit. The kind of joy that you get in Christ is strong, weighty, powerful, long-lasting, robust, strong enough to hold you up through trials and suffering. Strong enough to keep you in faith. Because you know what I've noticed? 
for so many people and so many Christians that when they hit their time of suffering, their faith goes boop right out the window. Gone poof. I don't believe anymore. Stop going to church. Bring all kinds of accusations against God. Remember a man, he and his wife are part of our church for years, years, wonderful people. I love them. I still do. And she got cancer at 40. And it was quick. I mean, just she went through chemo and stuff, but boom, she was just gone like that so quick. And of course, you know, I was there in her living room and she's laying there and she's, she's gone on to heaven. God bless her. Families all over the bed and crying and mourning and came to church that following Sunday. And her husband said to me, I don't trust God. I don't trust a God that would take my wife like that. I don't want to serve a God that would give my godly wife cancer. Never saw him again. Gone. Faith was so weak that when cancer came knocking, everything in his world collapsed. Your day is coming. I'm not saying you're going to get cancer, okay? I'm not saying that, God forbid. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and you will have tribulation. Your day is coming. Are you rooted in Christ enough that you will have enough faith to maintain your joy in the midst of it? Now, these are, these are weighty things. I understand this. These, these, this is the deep faith. This is hard stuff. Perhaps one day we'll talk about the sovereignty of God and then you'll see and understand that, that God is sovereign no matter what circumstance you're in and that would perhaps build your faith and help you, but that would be for another day. My hope is that you would turn to Jesus today while you have time. Turn to Jesus today, throw yourself at his feet and say, oh God in heaven, build my faith. Make me strong so that when I am weak, I will be strong in you. And I won't lose my faith. God does not delight in your suffering. But he desires for you to have joy in suffering. And it comes from him. If that were not true, there would be no heaven. If God did not want our happiness, if he did not want us to be in this incredible joy and bliss, he would not have created heaven. Because that is what heaven is. It's all of that. So will you pray with me this morning about this? And ask God to give you a new faith to maintain joy that goes beyond.
beyond because it's so rooted in Jesus. Father in heaven, we come before you again, and Lord, I pray that, Lord, every single person here, Lord, they would, they would grab onto you. They would jump and hold on to you and not let you go. They would get into that 20-minute mornings and they would get into the scriptures and they would devote themselves to you and being with you and spending time with you and not neglect you, not turn you off or push you back, but draw in closer into intimacy with you. Lord, only you can draw us. And I pray and I ask you, Holy Spirit, draw this congregation to yourself. see the proof of it in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.